Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. Let's get growing. Hey, everyone. Have you been to the Organic Gardener Podcast website and signed up for our email list? If you go there, you will get my new PDF, Seven Awesome Ways to Find More Time in Your Garden. And it's just some tips that I've learned from listening to my amazing guests who are always sharing with us super effective ways to be a better gardener. So if you um, head over to the organicgardenerpodcast.com and enter your email, you'll get seven awesome ways to find more time in your garden. You can also get a copy of our ebook of Organic Gardening Basics. And just um, all the show notes are there, all the links to our show. So, and I'll be sending out some golden seeds newsletters as I get them done. And of course, you'll get a special invitation to join the Organic Gardener Podcast Facebook community. Hope to see you there. Hey everyone, have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on cashews. Anyway, so they turn these cashews into sour cream, cottage cheese, milk, yogurts, um, they're really delicious. They sent me samples, actually, in a FedEx box with ice. It was so cool. Um, they're absolutely delicious. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. So welcome to episode 168 of the Organic Gardener podcast. And I am very, very, very excited to introduce my guest today because um, she's as passionate about politics as I am. And so she's going to share, um, she's written a great book that you might be interested in. And she's going to talk to us about just a whole assortment of things. So, um, I'll let her tell you about her. So welcome to the show, Judy Frankel. Thank you, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, thank you for taking time out of your weekend. I know my schedule makes it kind of hard to, um, connect. So, uh, just, um, so now you're in Oregon, is that right? I'm in Southern California near LA. Oh, okay. Um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and what you're passionate about? I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, believe it or not. Um, so I have the farm genes in my genes. And um, my dad had a little garden patch in his backyard, and I think that's what got me started was eating those unbelievable tomatoes as you probably remember from your childhood, uh, that you just can't buy those kind of tomatoes in the supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. And um, when I moved out to California, it was more because I wanted warm weather all year round. But then I learned as 
um, I tried growing tomatoes on a on a little uh, balcony that was not working out. So I got a little garden plot in a community garden in Long Beach, California. And when I met my first master gardener, I'm like, oh, I, I want to become a master gardener. So I took the 10-week course and I passed the test and then you have to do a bunch of volunteering. And in the middle of that, I moved to Massachusetts took the Master Gardener course there because I was there instead of California. I had to, um, you know, totally change tracks. The, uh, you know, zone is completely different, and their focus was, you know, in California it's all about growing food, the Master Gardener program, because their their mission is to teach low-income families to grow their own. And in Massachusetts, you can't even do that anyway because the growing season is only like three months long for food. Mm-hmm. So I uh, struggled in Massachusetts to try to grow stuff. Now, you can do it in Montana if you have you know, a greenhouse or if you're willing to take your plants in and out. We used to do that in Pennsylvania. And... Um, you can you can manage to do anything you do in California, but you have to do some kind of indoor growing, hoop right. houses or something. Um, so I'm familiar with both kinds of gardening. And then I moved back to California, and I've been – my specialty is helping people grow fruit trees. I sell fruit trees. I help people plant them, irrigate them. Um, I prune, train, and fertilize for my clients – and I do vineyards and um, roses. Those are all my specialties. So I'm a big pruner. That's that's what I end up doing in the field most of the time. But I got into the political stuff not um, in any small way because of gardening. So I hope that – does that bring you up to speed on me, what I do? Yeah, and there's a lot of things there. It's going to be so interesting. So I just went to L.A. uh, last spring to a podcasting conference, and I was so surprised because, well, the workshop was um, by Venice Beach, so I I just felt like I was walking around in this perfume bottle. It was just amazing. And then um, I'm really interested because, so I just saw this thing on the French news the other day. My husband's kind of a news junkie. So we watch a lot of news from around the world and just different places. And when you're in Montana, you get the satellite dish. So, um, And they were talking about how only, okay, let me make sure I got my facts right. But I think 3% of the farmland in France is actually vineyards. And they get like 27% of the pesticides. And it's just so important to drink organic wine. So I'm trying to drink more organic wine. Uh, but of course the price makes a big difference and especially in my life. So, um, so I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about things like that. And then also Russ Medge has been one of the most popular, um, most downloaded episodes. And he talks a lot about pruning fruit trees. He even gave a fruit tree demonstration live on Facebook the other day, but I didn't get his message to tell people about it till like two days after it was over. So I think listeners are going to be really excited about this. And then in my Facebook group, people have asked me about roses. So this is awesome. And then I'll be quiet and let you talk. (laughs) 
Well, I would like to know what your listeners want to know about roses and uh, tree pruning. It's really kind of hard to teach it on a podcast, but um, I can tell you that if you know how to ro- uh, prune roses, it's a really great start into pruning trees because every single cut that you make on a tree is either a heading cut or a thinning cut, and the heading cuts are a lot like pruning to an outward-facing bud. So because you do the same thing on a tree, usually you choose which bud you're pruning to, and it should be an outward-facing bud because otherwise it will grow into the center of the tree and block uh, the light for some of the other branches. So, um, you know, I mean, there are times when you do prune to an inward facing bud. I'm, I'm not going to say you never do it. Uh, but I think most listeners could agree that that's a really important thing to know if you're learning pruning. Um, but getting back to the pesticide thing, you know, that is kind of shocking that 20% of the pesticide use is used on the 3%. I mean, uh, um, the mostly on growing wine because uh, what is it that they're trying to, what are, what are their main pests? And I would wonder also what is the pesticide they're using because some pesticides are okay. You know, we don't um, have a problem with like uh, dusting your crop with sulfur um, to avoid the, the or f- some fungicides um, are really okay to um, add to your mix. I believe in integrated pest management, using the least toxic thing first. Um, The other thing that's kind of interesting is recently, uh, within the last, I think, year and a half, the Dutch, um, or the Netherlands actually, banned Roundup in their country. And, or they banned it, let's say, for uh, streets and, parks and and that sort of thing didn't ban I don't know if they banned it in agriculture but I think they found that it was it was toxic enough that they didn't want it in their um, regular spaces and so they started using a technique that uh, vineyards use to kill weeds and it's totally non-toxic they use a really high uh, temperature steam to kill the weeds. So it's really just water. And I love that idea because again, it's not toxic. Um, and it's right up. You can, you know, spray practically right up to the, the vine. Of course you don't want to get too close because get, it's really hot. But, um, I thought that that was a really interesting way of dealing with weeds in the vineyards. I so love I don't that. Know that. So well, how does that with work? Anything. And I'm thinking, I wonder yeah, if that would work I, for dandelions too. I'm totally separate. You know, <laughs> the thing that they say it doesn't work on is perennials. So if you have something that lives under the ground, you're, you're just killing the above ground stuff. It'll just come right back. But I don't think dandelions are perennials. They're annuals or they they spread by seed. So it probably works on them. Um, but I would just say that if, you know, if you have a small yard, you can handle maybe hand-picking your dandelions out, which is what I do. I have a, you know, 
I only garden 6,500 square feet. And most of it, if it's not grass, is covered by mulch, a really thick layer of mulch. So I can handle just pulling them out. And, um, you know, if you have a yard and you can't handle a few dandelions, then I would say, you know, go ahead and um, (laughs) pick them out by hand. But if your yard gets too big and you're still picking them, you know, that can easily get ahead of you. And I I would just say forget it. Don't worry about a few dandelions. (laughs) You know, just get used to um, mowing your grass and and pulling pulling the dandelion um, heads off as soon as you see, like, a flower because if it if you don't let it get to the to the seed stage it's it's going to be okay so um yeah but i i'm i'm on the on mission now to do two things one is to get money out of politics because we know it can corrupt uh money that is and the other is uh to get roundup out of the food supply because um, now that we are learning a little bit more about what it does in your body, we don't want that stuff in the food. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit about what it does in your body? I had yeah, a guest on, uh, like she was like guest number nine and she's a doctor out of MIT. Her name was, oh my goodness, am I forgetting? Stephanie, Stephanie Senek. Yeah. Stephanie Senek was on and talked about it. But since episode nine, you would have to like go to my website to listen to it. I don't even think you can get it on iTunes anymore. So do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, actually, um, Stephanie Seneff is is really wonderful, but she gets so far into the weeds sometimes and she talks really fast that, um, you know, she's just uh, brilliant, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think there's really just two things you need to remember about Roundup that are the most important, and then I'll talk about what it causes. Uh, one is it's a it's basically an antibiotic, so it kills um, certain bacteria, and it just so happens that it kills the beneficial bacteria, both in the gut and in the soil. And those beneficial bacteria are responsible for making aromatic amino acids that then um, create melatonin, serotonin, and dopamine, which are all the good feel-good chemicals. And as you know, melatonin helps you sleep at night. So if you're killing the gut, gut bacteria that make those things, then you're also you know, going to be deficient in those things. So that's kind of why we would see a lot of um, the uh, depression and uh, insomnia problems like that. But the other thing that it does, besides killing the good bacteria, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are on probiotics because it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. You have to be constantly taking probiotics. Well, that's because you're constantly eating, uh, if you're not eating organic, and even if you are to some extent, it's very hard to get um, organic food that doesn't have glyphosate in it. That's the main ingredient in Roundup. Um, you you are basically on a low-grade antibiotic dose every day, killing the gut bacteria. So even if you weren't taking an antibiotic for a cold or flu or some other 
you know, really important reason to take antibiotics, you're still having to worry about getting the antibiotic in your in your everyday food. So the probiotic business is booming and we can never seem to eat enough probiotics because they you keep eating the food that then kills it. Um, so that's that's the one thing. Uh, that you know there's that links to um, things like colitis and I think this term is overused but leaky gut and gluten intolerance. <clears throat> okay. Then the other thing that um, glyphosate does, and that's the main ingredient in Roundup, it's a chelator. So it grabs onto uh, minerals, and some of those minerals are essential to, um, you know, normal body function. So um, this is where I'm going to defer to Stephanie Seneff. If you want to watch some of her videos on YouTube, they're wonderful. Her last name is spelled S-E-N-E-F-F. And um, what I want to say about the chelation is, unfortunately, it chelates with um, a necessary mineral that would normally um, make it possible to take toxins out of your gut. And so... Everything becomes more toxic. Any other toxins that you're taking in become more toxic in the presence of glyphosate. And I'll give you one example because it's it's another food item. Glutamate happens to be a really interesting chemical that the food industry loves. Uh, a lot of us know as MSG, but it can be it can be hiding in a whole bunch of other names, which I will give you a list and I'll give all of your listeners a list at the end of this if you want it. Glutamate. Sure, put it in the show notes. Yeah, so I'm glutamate. I'm so glad you're telling us this because you're really breaking it down into very um, simple, easy to understand. And I think a lot of us, you know, wonder about it and I just, I appreciate it. Can you just, uh, just really, how do you spell that? Killates. What did you oh, call it? Chelates? Yeah. It's uh, C-H-E-L-A-T-E. So it's a chelator or a chelates. Right. Okay. Um, it's a verb. Okay. So um, having nothing to do with glyphosate for a minute, we're just going to talk about glutamate. Glutamate okay. is a flavor, a flavor enhancer, but it does something special in the brain. It turns off the part of the brain that says, Okay, I'm done eating. I'm full now. And essentially, it makes you, it tricks the brain into thinking you want to eat, you're still hungry, and you want to eat that thing, whatever it is that the glutamate is on. So if you can never just eat just one, it's because they're adding this chemical to the food. Now, here's the thing about glutamate, and it's it's in everything. It's like in right. chips. And I mean, they, why wouldn't they add it, right? Because it's going to make you want to eat more. And that's why we have this ridiculous fat population in the United States is because we're eating this chemical that tells us we're never full. Well, glutamate happens. It sounds like not only does it tell us we're not full, it actually is making you want to eat more, it sounds like. Yeah, because you want to taste that thing. It's totally diabolical. <laughs> and addictive. I totally have that problem too. 
And it's so yeah. funny because when we were kids, my mom wouldn't let us go near anything that had MSG in it. But I think you're right. Like, they're not labeling it now. People don't realize that they have other names for it. And yep. there's, there's something like 50 names. I haven't counted lately. But I have, I have this great list that I'm going to give okay. all your listeners at the end cool. that has all the things that have glutamate or the, the names of things, what, what they're hiding in. So if you're a label reader, you can say, oh, that's glutamate. Anything that's got uh, like lactic acid in it, that's glutamate. So getting back to the glutamate, what it does and why it's so bad in your system is it's a neurotoxin. And they found high levels of glutamate in the brains of autism, you know, autistic mm-hmm. children. And what's, why glyphosate and glutamate are a one-two punch is that the glyphosate makes it impossible for the body to rid itself of glutamate. And that gives it access to circulate in the bloodstream and go to the brain. So if you have a child with autism and you know that glutamate is a big no-no, you have to stop you know, eating the, that as well. You should stop eating both. But the two of them are just bad. And then the other thing about Roundup is that there's a, a lot of evidence to show where there's a, a let's say a you could draw a straight line between eating glyphosate or Roundup and having Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. They are both neuro um, neurotoxins and or they're they're neurological disorders. Let's put it that way. And uh, glyphosate is definitely, you should not eat it if you are worried about getting Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, which is pretty much everyone (laughs) shouldn't eat this stuff. You know, I don't know about you, Jackie, but when I go into the supermarket, I get really PO'd that we have to go out of our way to avoid these foods. Like, why do they even put it in our food in the first place? There shouldn't be an aisle or a separate section for organic. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You I had have somebody to- talk about some little cartoon that's like the organic carrot talking to the conventional carrot. And the organic carrot's like, why do they call you food and me organic? I'm food and you're the weird one. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I tell this joke everywhere I go, what did we used to call food before or things before it was organic and not organic? We used to call it food, right? Right. (laughs) But now you have to, you have to look for the organic food and you have to pay a little bit more for it. And to me, you have to pay a lot more. Okay. So it pisses me off. Right. So that, so just so that you're not poisoned. People should be mad not that their organic food is more expensive, but that they have this food that's poison in the supermarket. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? They should be, we should all be when we go shopping. It's like I was just telling, what was it? There's that movie GMO, OMG, OMG, GMO, GMO. And he's talking to the guy from, I can't remember who he's talking to, but he's pointing at the field of corn and he's like, so wait, so you're telling me that field of corn is actually labeled as like a pesticide, as a toxic thing? And he's like, yep, 
that's really actually it's like qualifies as a toxic as a toxin or something i can't remember how it goes yeah and, i know what but you, yeah but it's yeah, corn too we're gonna eat it but yep it's labeled as a toxin because it has so much um you know chemical pesticide or it's whatever got- it is. It's got genes in it. It's got genes in it that's a pesticide. The BT gene is inside the the uh, right. genome of the corn now, so you can't even wash it off. There's no way to get a, away from the BT in the corn. And BT, by the way, you know when it used to be sprayed on the crops, it was its own thing. It was kind of contained. But when you take the gene out and you shoot it into the gene of the corn or the gene the genome then it's a whole nother monster and they have not done tests on what that does to the human body so anybody who is out there who wants to say no uh you know genetic modifying genetic modification is perfectly safe uh show me the studies that proves it because we haven't done any long-term you know, eating tests where, I mean, there's plenty of studies that show that animals are suffering from eating GMO uh, corn. So, you know, why aren't we paying attention to that? I don't understand. You know, it's it just, it, it's very possible that it's not good for us, but they haven't proven that it's good for us. So I guess we're going to have to have um, GMO corn floating around. Now, I I've heard that the Sweet corn is not GMO, and that they only feed the GMO corn to the animals. So the poor animals have to deal with it. And that's another thing. And the animals that people are eating. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to go there that, that GMO corn is part and parcel of your meat now. And, and it's not just the BT part, which I, you know, touched on. It's the, um, the fact that it's sprayed with Roundup, the corn, and that soaks all the way into the tissues. It's designed to soak into the tissues. Every part of that corn plant now has uh, glyphosate in it. The animal eats the glyphosate. It doesn't just flush out of their system. It doesn't just set, stay in the GI tract and not go anywhere else. It actually gets into the bloodstream and into the tissue and then we're eating the glyphosate in the meat. So unless your uh, beef is grass-fed, mm-hmm. then you have to worry, wh- wh- you know, what kind of beef is this? Is this a corn-fed beef and grass finish only? You know about this, right, Jackie? At the end of their uh, lifespan, they give them some grass, and then they say, it's grass-finished, so it's fine. Right? No, I haven't heard of that. But I have heard tons of people, you know, talk about only eat grass-fed beef, only eat grass-fed beef. And I can't even imagine, like, if I had kids or, like, I don't actually eat beef. So if I had to buy that, because I know it's really expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. But, um, but yeah, they say every. it seems like everywhere you go, you hear that's the only kind of meat that you should eat. And my, so you, like, my you, big things that I've been working on, so I've been following this girl, the food babe. I don't know if you've heard of her, Vanning. Oh, Murray. yeah, I love, yeah. And she, so great. 
so I've always I've been like, well, I don't eat beef, but I eat a ton of dairy. So since my mm-hmm. New Year's thing this year that I've really been working on is trying to, you know, watch my dairy only buy organic dairy or buy you know dairy that comes from grass fed cows. And so I've been really challenged and like looking at my diet and and things like that. So it definitely affects me right there with everyone. Oh, well, I'll tell you my big thing, because I, I, I love that you're looking into where your cheese sources, because the fat of the milk is what has all the hormones and chemicals. If anything, it's going to be in the fat part. And I love butter, and I'm with you on the cheese. But what I've lately been doing is trying to find oatmeal that is not sprayed by Roundup, and that's not so easy, because... They don't have uh, GMO oats. What they have is they're growing the oats like normal, and then they're telling the farmers, you know, if you spray your oats, they'll dry all at once. Spray it with uh, Roundup. It'll desiccate it, dry it out. You don't have to worry about whether there's going to be a rain that starts making it moldy and, and, um, you know, have crop failure. So they hurry up and spray it. All that stuff soaks in the Roundup, and then they harvest it. Well, that's not organic anymore, right? Mm. But you you think oatmeal's a healthy food. I'll bet you if you went into the supermarket today and went to the aisle for the cereal and bought some of the um, Quaker's oats, and you put it through a glyphosate test, it would be high in glyphosate because it's not grown with with uh, organic in mind it's just grown as oatmeal and most of the oat farmers are using this method you have to go out of your way now to find a farmer who's not spraying it with roundup and so i called um, i went to we have a supermarket called sprouts here and i mm-hmm. went to my sprouts and said you know, my daughter's urine came uh, back high in glyphosate because I had her urine tested. You can have your blood, urine, and um, breast milk tested for glyphosate levels. Anyway, it was it was off the charts for my daughter. I could not believe it because here I am growing all this organic food, and then I'm thinking, I you know, I'm always eating oatmeal every morning, and I realize, oh my god. This is one of the grains they spray with Roundup. It's wheat, barley, oats, peas, legumes. Um, I forget if there's something missing. Those are the major ones that are sprayed by Roundup. So, alfalfa? Um, not, you know, I think they have GMO alfalfa that's Roundup ready. So <laughs> these are just non-GMO things that are sprayed like really heavily at the end of their, their lifespan. So I went to my sprouts and I said, can you tell me whether this oatmeal is sprayed by Roundup or not? Because it's not organic, but maybe it's not sprayed. And sure enough, it took me about three months to get the answer because... <laughs> They, they went to their uh, distributor. The distributor had to go back to the manufacturer or, or you know, the person that puts it in a bottle or bag or can or whatever. And then that, that company had to go back to the farmer. 
So it's, it's like this chain. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got my answer, it was yes, they spray it with Roundup. So I said, mm-hmm. aha, this, you know, this could be where my daughter's getting her Roundup because it's a third of what we eat. It's our, you know, breakfast morning meal. Um, not, you know, not the least of which is sometimes when she goes to school, she gets a, a cupcake from like a supermarket that probably has weed in it that was sprayed with Roundup. And I have no control over what she gets at the school, right? Um, unless I just tell them, don't give her anything. And then she's the only kid sitting there without the little, you know, birthday thing, right? <laughs> right? Which just kills me. So, um, but getting back to the oats, now I am buying um, organic only oats. And again, it's like twice, it's, it's at least 50% more, if not sometimes four times more for the organic version. You're telling me, and we eat a ton of oats because my husband's a big baker and he puts oats in like all of his cookies. We use a lot of oats. Do you, do you get organic only though? No, not at all. See, I didn't either. I didn't either. And that's, you know, I could just, I cannot almost be sure that I was eating a ton of glyphosate with that, with that oatmeal I was eating. So now I, I just go for the organic only. And then I want to touch on one other thing about this um, glyphosate stuff. Mm-hmm. So between, uh, I'm tr- trying to get the years right, 2000 and... 2009 and 2014, I'm not sure if I have the, the right dates, we've sprayed 527 million pounds of Roundup just in the United States, 527 million pounds. Well, toward the end of, of that period, um, the farmer's were complaining because Roundup wasn't killing the um, weeds well enough. So Monsanto went back to the EPA and said, we need to be able to spray more. And they had this up to 300 million pounds per year is allowed to be sprayed in the United States. So we are getting a deluge Right now, and the other thing about Roundup is, um, just recently, with um, I think it was 2014, the um, World Health Organization declared mm-hmm. that glyphosate was a probable carcinogen. So Roundup has gotten a bad rep lately, and Bayer, the company that bought Monsanto is thinking, well, probably glyphosate is on its way out. We'll be able to sell it for the next five years because it'll take that long for the regulators to come around to doing this. <laughs> so they're going to sell as much glyphosate as they possibly can over the next five years while it's still legal. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm telling you, this is this is the stuff. It's gonna, if, if we don't wise up to this, we're all going to have Alzheimer's. We will remember to check the labels of the food to see what's in it. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying it tongue in cheek, but I'm totally serious. It's 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 not good. It's just not good. 
Mm-mm. So do you want to tell people about your book? Okay. So yeah, thank you. It's a nice segue. Um, back in 2011, I had one of those life changing events. I, I got divorced and, um, I had to kind of cobble together a career. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought, well, you know, that saying, um, if you could be successful at anything, what would you do? Because that's the thing you should do, right? Um, and well, there's I that decided, one, if, if you knew you, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? Exactly. The same thing. Mm-hmm. And my choice above all else was to fix the government. <laughs> no, I'm a glutton for punishment, right? <laughs> because of all the things that people say you cannot do that, you cannot fix the government, right? It's such right. a mess. Um, that was, that was what I chose to do. And it was because I thought Obama was doing a terrible job. I mean, I had voted for him in 2008, and there's no way in hell I was going to vote for him in 2012. Because he did everything that you could, like, hope that he would do, he didn't do. Uh, He never um, overturned the um, part of the FISA Act that took away habeas corpus for us. So he didn't get rid of the uh, part of the Patriot Act so that we wouldn't be spied on. And the NSA blew up and became this what it is now, which is you have no privacy anymore. Um, the, and, and the thing that just goes beyond everything else is that we can go into other countries and just pick people off and kill them with the drone probe. Okay. So there's no judge, there's no jury. It's it's the president is judge, jury, and executioner all in one. And I'm sorry if you're going to do that to other uh, places around the world, we will never uh, have good foreign relations. So I think that's the worst thing that we do, to be honest. And look with you. what he let go on in North Dakota. What was oh, that all about? Ex- I know. And See, the pipeline. They gave him a peace prize up. and and he didn't stop that and let those people get sprayed with water guns in the in freezing cold water trying to save our planet and save our water and just I was so I I don't like to say anything too bad about Obama. I know he had a hard time. He had a horrible um you know Congress to work with. They did everything they could. But at the same time, I, you know, I certainly feel like you do. We voted for him because we were hoping for change and hoping for a positive future. And I I certainly felt like he could have been a bigger leader. I felt like he could have, you know, done more at the climate talks. You know, I don't even yeah. think he went, he went to Paris, but I don't think he went to any of the others before that, like Copenhagen or. Um, oh, he showed you know, up late. The- he was. He whizzed in late at Copenhagen and did this Copenhagen Accord, which has absolutely no teeth. It had no uh, requirement. It was all voluntary, the Copenhagen Accord. And you know, as you and look see, where we're going now because of what we thought, you know, the change we wanted. People want to change. They voted him in there for change, and we got no change. And and like I said, granted, you know, he had a horrible Congress to work with, and they did everything under their sun to prevent him from, you know, moving us forward. But I definitely felt like he could have been a bigger leader on the international 
scale and moving our country in a greener direction. Absolutely. I think, a doubt. I don't know if you were a Bernie crat this past uh, election. Yep, I was I a big Bernie was. supporter. Yeah. So a lot of the things that, Ber- um, sorry, Bernie, Obama was doing back in 2012, I was not happy with. And actually it's 2011. I was making this decision. Oh, and the other thing about Obama was that he appointed or kept as appointees the um, head of the EPA, FDA, USDA, all Monsanto cronies and people who are oh, pro biotech. So oh, I, I was really no wonder. Happy. Yeah, I mean, it was he was just keeping um, Bush people in all these agencies that are supposed to be supervising the health and welfare uh, of, you know, protecting us and actually are doing just the opposite. They're making it easier for the companies like Monsanto to poison us. So I was not happy about that. And in fact, uh, I, I, I just thought it was ironic. Michelle would talk about how, you know, we should grow food. Right have organic this and organic that and eat green leafy vegetables and you know behind our backs he's appointing Michael Taylor to the FDA so that that just you know I'm sorry that's just screwy so um and by the way Bernie was always on the right side on this particular issue on the food issue he always sided with let's label the food, uh, you know, organic or uh, label the GMOs, tell people when it's made with genetically modified ingredients. Um, <clears throat> and you know how that went. Um, so anyway, when when we're looking at the president, we're looking for someone who is making these important appointments to the head of these uh, or, um, regulatory agencies that then mm-hmm. – will protect us and the food that we eat. And that brings us completely around to the organic thing. So I decided I'm going to put together a website where all the candidates who are running for, for president, uh, Senate, or the House of Representatives are listed. And you can go to the website and find out who has taken a pledge to get money out of politics and who hasn't, you know. And the pledge had three parts to it, which our friend, I'm going to make a shout out to Craig Clevin right now because he's a, he, he's a big influence in my life. He wrote this wonderful uh, amendment to the Constitution. I mean, this guy is an amazing patriot. Um, he's he's a Montanan. So um, his, his uh, amendment would overturn Citizens United and get rid of the Electoral College. So that each person, one person, one vote. Um, we understand more than ever why we need that now. Uh, the second part of it is to pass the American Anti-Corruption Act. This American Anti-Corruption Act, you can look it up, is hosted online by represent.us. And anybody can pass it in any state. Um, they're making amazing progress what this anti-corruption act does is two main parts of it is if you pass if you pass this in your municipality then none of your politicians can take more than i think 500 dollars 
from any entity as a as a donation. And then if you get into office, you can't then turn around and become a lobbyist for at least five years. So it nice. stops the revolving door. Yeah. So and there's other things in that anti corruption act that are just brilliant. It's really well written. It's already been passed in fourteen uh cities, including San Francisco. And I think North Dakota just had it on the ballot. I, I should know whether it passed or not, but I don't. I think it just everywhere it's on the ballot, it seems to pass because it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat, you want the American Anti-Corruption Act. I mean, who wants corruption, right? Right. <laughs> so you vote for the Anti-Corruption Act. And then the third part of this pledge is probably the most important one. I mean, as if those weren't important enough. The third part is to get back to paper ballots counted in public so we can video and so we can videotape them. So, all right, we haven't even told everybody what your book's called. Oh, it's called Insert the Next POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, President of the United States, One Woman's Quest to Fix Washington. A true story and it tells how all these pieces uh, that I've been talking about work and it's told in a very personal story kind of way it's I mean you'll see the reviews on Amazon are very good because <laughs> okay. um, that's it's interesting to me because like I so I was at a um, fundraiser for Denise Juno who was running for Congress here in Montana and I was just talking to this guy who was also there and telling him about my podcast. And he's like, oh, my goodness, you have to interview this woman. And he walked over to the table and pulled out your book and was like, she would make an awesome guest on your show. So that's how we met or that's how I you know, found you was through your through your book. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to because you've just told us so much important stuff uh just if people don't know what citizens united is because i know here in montana our senator john tester has worked really hard to reverse citizens united that's a big thing i get emails from him a lot that's one of his big things do you want to explain the listeners just quickly what that is if they don't know about it sure actually there's a chapter in my book about exactly what citizens united is there was a movie all about uh, how horrible Hillary would be as a president, and I there was uh, some people complained and said, "Oh, it's against the McCain-Feingold um, Act, which had been passed." And so this organization, just like a lot of organizations that are shady, um, made up the name Citizens United had a ton of money behind it, fought it all the way to the Supreme Court, and said we we should be able to spend money any way we like to, you know, uh, put w- whatever words out there we want. And um, they essentially won. The, the, the Citizens United PAC or group uh, was able to prevail, and that ruling allows – uh, not just um, the you know corporations with their unlimited amounts of money, it seems, 
uh, to spend as much money as they want in elections. They can also, uh, unions can also spend as much money as they want, and you name it, anybody with deep pockets can spend as much money as they want to influence elections. And this is not good for democracy because then you get a deluge of information only from the most wealthy interests and they're pushing their agenda. So, for example, in the um, state of uh, California, we had a, a wonderful proposition on the ballot, Prop 37, that would have labeled uh, GMOs in California. Well, um, all the big industries, from Monsanto's, um, you know, <laughs> all the way to PepsiCo, because uh, Pepsi, Coke, um, all those drinks are um, they're sweetened by high fructose corn syrup, and they don't want uh, contains GMOs on their uh, bottles, right? Right. So. To fight that, they spent, I think it was $25 million, and we only had $6 million to fight against it to try to pass this proposition. And they won. Just by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, they won. But because they had all this money to confuse the voters on TV, saying, oh, it's going to cost so much more money to label right? them. Right? <sighs> so... I'm telling you, this so because we're not already money, labeling our food. Like to just add one more little thing onto the label that's already on there is just going to cost some huge, outrageous fortune. Well, actually, it's it's even worse than that because they're so disingenuous. They already label uh, all the food that goes into Europe uh, contains GMOs or genetically modified, and they have to do it for Europe, but they won't do it for here. So it's it's not that they can't do it or that it's, it's more expensive. They're already doing it. It's that they know that people are going to start rejecting those foods. You know, people yep. aren't going to want to eat it. At least people are starting to because, like, I've been seeing on popcorn lately that there's a lot more popcorn out there now that says GMO-free. So I'm hoping we're making headway. So what I always thought Citizens United was that um, it – made a corporation have the same rights as a person. That was the way I had always understood citizens. You know, that was, that actually started a long time ago. That was, um, trying to think if it was Buckley V Vallejo. Okay. So Buckley V Vallejo was the decision, the Supreme court decision that, um, money is speech. So if you hadn't had Buckley v. Vallejo, you, it, it actually paved the way for citizens, the Citizens United decision because they build decisions upon previous right. Supreme Court decisions. And the one that is that a corporation has the rights of a person, I can't remember the name of that one. But you're absolutely right that if – in fact, we didn't have that earlier decision that said that corporations have the same rights as people. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't have, it was part uh, and parcel of the Citizens United argument. Because they have to make an argument. They can't just pull it out of their ass that, you know, um, you can spend unlimited funds. You had to have 
these th- there were actually three pieces to that decision that I wrote about in length that I won't bore your uh, listeners with, but it's actually not very boring. It's it's in that chapter about Citizens United, what was required, the legal reasoning for Citizens United. And so there's a there's a big problem with upending this, um, you know, human beings. Uh, I mean, um, corporations are not do not have the rights as as people do, because there are a lot. There's so many laws on the books about corporations having rights that in order to upend that or to to um, reverse it you would have to get rid of a whole bunch of um, precedents. And that's never going to happen. I don't think it'll ever happen. And so Craig Clevidence, the Montanan I was telling you about, he is brilliant. He wrote such a good uh, um, amendment. It's called the Renew Democracy Amendment. You can just type that in. He's got a great website where you can read it. It's very short. It doesn't say anything about um, taking away the rights of corporations. It just says that people should be the only ones participating in our elections, not corporations. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, why should corporations be able to vote? (laughs) It's crazy. Or be able to donate all the money they make just like a regular, ordinary, everyday person. Yeah, I was just being facetious. I mean, they word? don't vote. They don't vote, but they sure as hell do influence elections, and that's just wrong. It's just wrong. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, the 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 what the website that you should go to if you really want to know more about this like political part of it, I have a website just pledgeforhonestcandidates.com. And it's just a page. It's the simplest thing in the world. And on that page, I link to Craig Clevidence's, um, his uh, amendment. So everything's in one spot. The American Anti-Corruption Act is on that page. The How to Fix the Ballot Boxes is on that page. And it's, it's less than a page long. So it's really kind of great to have it all in one place. Okay, cool. All right. Well, what else did you want to talk about that we haven't even touched on today? Well, I'm really curious what your listeners want to know because, you know, as far as gardening is concerned, there's there's just so much, so many different tangential topics we could talk about that have to do with growing food. Because I think aren't we all kind of interested in food? Are we are we gardeners to flowers and other things too? Uh yeah, we're definitely interested in food. I'm more of a flower <laughs> gardener, and my husband's more of the food gardener. But you know, we're all interested in, and like I said, I'm really trying to focus on eating healthier. Um, and so, um, well. So the guy who heads my podcasting class kind of like changed his questions around. And lately he's been asking this question, you as the expert, like what's one thing that we as gardeners should know, but maybe don't know about growing, you know, fruit trees, maybe since fruit trees Mm -hmm. is very popular. 
Like, what's one thing you talked about pruning a little? Okay. Well, one of my specialties now is apples. I mean, I was, uh, I would tell people my specialty is nectarines and peaches. And actually, you do grow nectarines and peaches there, don't you? No, uh, I guess there's peaches like down in Missoula. I my friend Marissa, who I taught with, said her brother has a peach tree, and she was like house sitting, and it was just like overflowing with peaches. So oh, I don't think we can have them where we are. I don't know about nectarines. We have a big cherry. Uh, there's a big lake called Flathead Lake and around Flathead Lake, there's like cherry orchards. My husband and I, we grow a lot of apple and pear trees, mostly apple. Okay. We have a few pear trees. So I'm glad that you're, um, you're talking about apples because I was just going to say, um, I, I just learned this year that certain apples only grow their apples on the tips of their branches, whereas others are spur bearing, you know, everywhere else. And so the spur bearing, um, trees grow the apples on short, thick twigs called spurs. And you know, a spur because it's kind they're kind of wrinkly right there. It's kind of like where all the bark is kind of, um, overlapping each it's itself. Um, and by the way, those spurs are really important because every year you'll get uh, fruit off the same spot. So you want it, when you prune, you want to avoid pruning the spurs and only grow, um, prune like those straight up branches of going straight up, doing absolutely nothing fruit-wise. But there are some kinds, some varieties that bear on the tips and so um, I think Gala, oh, here it is, Fuji, and I think Green, uh, Granny Smith are tip-bearing. So you don't want to prune the tips on those. You want those to kind of, um, you know, spread them out over a nice area. Like this is the thing about a tree when you're pruning is you kind of have to imagine looking at it from the sky, and you want your tree to have um, the cardinal branches, let's say, in the north, south, east, west quadrants. And then everything growing off of, off of that should kind of fit in between those cardinal spaces and not have branches that overlap each other because that's when they're blocking the sun from each other. So when you look at the top of a – by the way, the apple trees – totally opposite pruning style than peaches. Um, but I think, I think that tip bearing thing was uh, really important to learn that certain uh, apples only bear on the tips. So um, you, you just, you have to know that or else you're going to end up cutting off where they fruit. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a great tip. The one thing I was going to say. And the same, by the way, with some pears. There's su- certain pears that are tip-bearing as well. So I think it's it's Fuji and Granny are tip-bearing. And then there's the um, uh, Asian pear that is tip-bearing. Okay. So. 
Uh, well, what I was going to say is that even though I'm in Montana, uh, technically the majority of my listeners are in California, New York, and Texas, I think. Oh, so, oh. Which I think California because, and New York, I mean, I think those places, one, because they're just huge. They have much bigger populations. Like, I think I have, like, if I went by percentage, I probably do have a lot of listeners in Montana. But, yeah, um, California is up, right up there at the top of the list for sure. And New York is a big apple. Um, that's big apple country there. Uh, by the way, Crips Pink is another tip bearing. I think they're also uh, Pink Lady is in that same uh, category because Crips Pink is a, I think it's a sport of Pink Lady. Okay. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Organified Green Juice is a gently dried superfood mix that supports health, mental clarity, while detoxifying your body all in one delicious drink. What I love about Organifi, it makes me feel great. It's easy. It doesn't take much time. It's full of nutrients and superfoods that I have a hard time getting anywhere else, and it just tastes delicious. Now, as a teacher, you all know that our days are, our time is totally limited. I have kids in my classroom since 7.30 in the morning till six o'clock at night. Um, so just even using this simple thing can be difficult for me, but I can pull it off and so can you. If you want to feel good and get all your um, greens in a simple, easy drink, remember um, you can get a discount as an Organic Gardener podcast listener by entering code OGP16 and Organifi will give you a 15% discount now. So just go to Organifi.com um, and when you go to check out, enter code OGP16, and they'll give you 15% off your order anytime. Did you know that you could support the Organic Gardener podcast without doing anything differently? If you're going to buy something on Amazon.com, since I'm an Amazon affiliate, if you go to Amazon through a link on my page, which every book that is listed on my website is linked to Amazon.com, you don't have to buy that book, but anything you buy that day from Amazon um, will give me a very, very small commission, but... I got to tell you, it would sure help pay for, you know, just some of the basics it costs to um, keep the podcast up there. And now let's get to the root of things. Do you have like a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like, is there something you have to force yourself to get out there and do? Uh, well, my least favorite thing is um, trapping gophers. <laughs> you're not the first one on my show to say that in any way shape or form yeah uh i did have and i had a woman in my facebook group asking me about that and so somebody else talked about one thing that's working kind of for them or they've been trying at least is putting like uh i know i can't remember how it goes they put glass bottles in the ground, like, you know, every foot or two around the edge of the garden. And there's something about the way the wind. So I think the bottle's buried and the, the neck of it is sticking out. And something about the wind blowing over it creates this sound that the gophers hate. And that's going to be working. And I think it's the bottles are up because then she was like putting umbrellas in them so they didn't fill up with water. I'll have to like link back to that. But um, that was something that was kind of working for her. Just, they it really works. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm surprised, but anything that works, I'm all for it. I just, I've heard of everything. Juicy fruit, gum, that does not work. 
Okay, I okay. tried that. And just recently I had a um, black hole, that's the type of trap, uh, disappear. And I think it's because after the gopher gets caught in there, if you don't hurry up and take him out of the trap, the trap, the whole thing gets stolen by a uh, a passing um, raccoon. Predator? Because oh. the raccoons like to eat the gopher. <laughs> so, yeah. All kinds of things going on out there. All right. So then on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Oh, wow. Um, it's really hard to beat pruning roses because not only are you out there um, with you know, the, the smell, the sight, the, it's just, it's just a delightful activity. Yeah. All right. Tell us something about pruning roses. Wow. Um, where do I begin? I belong to the Rose Society here. I think that's a great way to meet people and also learn a lot about roses. So I highly recommend if you have a, a Rose Society in your area, join it. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. It's, it's just, it's a total passion. If you're into roses, you know what I mean? Because you, once you've grown one thing successfully, then you start wanting more. You want more variety. I don't know how people can just have, uh, like the iceberg. I don't know if you have the iceberg roses where you are, but icebergs are so boring and they don't have any smell to speak of really i mean they're kind of pretty but i have a few in my in my garden but i i really like the variety i'm really into variety not just for roses but also food so i grow like five different kinds of uh cauliflower and five different kinds of broccoli and do you do that too you kind of oh i want to try this variety who me (laughs) I'm always like, I'm the total, like, go to the store and come home with, like, 20 different kinds of seeds and be like, all right, let's plant. (laughs) Uh, But then when it comes to actually doing the work, I'm not always as good at staying with it. My husband's much more, like I said, he has the green thumb. I don't really have the green thumb, but I do always, I love to buy seeds. I'm always like, oh, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, Like I said, I'm a little more of a flower girl than a food girl, especially, like, I feel like. Because harvesting is kind of one of my challenges. So I feel like if the flower's in the garden, I'm still looking at it. I'm getting all my joy out of it. And I don't feel bad if it just dies in the garden. Even though they say, you know, if you deadhead, you'll get a lot more blooms in the long run. So, but I'm kind of a busy lady. Okay. How about, so what's the best gardening advice you've ever received, Judy? So the best gardening advice all came from this one book. This is how I started. It's called... How to grow more vegetables, fruits, nuts, berries, etc. On um, than you ever thought possible on less land than you can imagine. It's a very long title, but it's John Jevons' ultimate guide on biointensive gardening. And if you haven't read that book or you, you know, don't know where to begin, that is the best place to start. They talk about double digging. Um, I don't even recommend that anymore because it's such backbreaking work, but it's a good experience. I did a lot of double digging when I first started gardening and 
so you have a lot of appreciation for not walking on your beds because if you walk on the beds, you're compacting the ground. And um, once you double dug, you don't want to step on that bed anymore. <laughs> well, and now there's the whole big no dig, you know, permaculture, no tilling movement. Right. That's really kind of changing things. But that being said, uh, I had an amazing guest, this woman, Jess Pierce, who's kind of down there at the John Javins um at their place uh Mm -hmm. come on and she was just a wonderful guest and i yeah i love that book and we've learned a lot from reading that book it really changed my um because i think one of the big principles i i mean i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure like wasn't one of the big principles was he grew a lot of um the green manure the thing you use to feed your soil uh yeah is a lot is a big part of his principle and how you can grow enough food to feed your family in a very small um, piece of land. And and another tenant of that book, and I really got into it is the companion planting. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, certain plants like to live next to each other. I guess they have a, a symbiosis under, even under the ground in the soil. So I almost never plant a tomato plant without putting basil next to it. They love each other. Um, And now I'm starting to use more. Oh, here's another tip uh, I couldn't live without, which is if you have a problem with aphids, you should definitely plant alyssum in your your garden because it attracts the surfeit fly, which I think it's the babies or the – forget what part of the process their their babies eat aphids and so even the aphids avoid being near alyssum and so nice. it's the best it's the best thing to have i mean that in it's just good to have a lot of variety in your garden because you're attracting bees you're attracting the beneficials that go after the the bad stuff um I even brought in the decolates snails, the little snails that have the long um, shell that gets a little skinnier as it goes down. It's like a, a cone-shaped shell. Those, oh, right. go after, those go after the bad snails. So um, I highly recommend decolates snails. I don't know what other, other names they go by, but you want to kind of encourage the predators in your garden with a lot of variety and with sometimes you just have to buy them and bring them in. So. Awesome. So I just want to quickly, so is alyssum, is that a flower? What is that? Yeah. It comes in purple and white and it's A L Y S S U M. Okay. A L Y. Alyssum. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. I haven't heard that. And I've had a lot of guests talk about aphid problems. So I well, think listeners here, are going to love this. Here's the other thing about aphids is that if you um, have one plant that is like attacked by them, mm-hmm. and if they're avoiding the others, it's because the one that they attacked is, was weaker anyway. So what... 
what sometimes I do is just allow one plant to get subsumed by, uh, I mean, I guess if you want to No, take you're it not out. the only one who said that. Okay. Okay. I, I have heard, I have heard, um, people say that and they'll just, but yeah, but a lot of people talk about, um, just getting it out of there and giving up on that crop and just being like, well, that's my loss for this year. And I just can't. So I think giving people, um, a proactive to me, that's a proactive thing. Cause you're going to plant something. Um, yeah. The listen, and the other thing about a listen that's great is it self seeds. So, and it's not at all invasive, you know, you don't want to, I, I would never recommend, a plant unless I knew its habit over the years and this one is one of my favorite because it does not it's not annoying in any way and it does have a very nice scent so nice. can't go wrong with the listen all right we're gonna have to order that and Mike actually so um it's Bountiful Gardens right is the seed catalog that his uh but, the John um, Jevons thing. Yeah. yeah. And Mike has that, right? Uh, it's sitting on the kitchen table. He's waiting for me to put the order in. So I'm going to look for a listen. So I'm <laughs> glad we haven't ordered yet. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Judy, how about a favorite tool that you like to use? Like if you had to move again and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Oh, my God. There's this one tool. I don't even know what it's called. Um, it's an Asian tool. It has a almost like a, a triangular head, but it's but it's at a, a really lethal angle, and it's just a great weeder. But it also is a great way to uh, scratch the fertilizer into the soil. So I use the hell out of that thing. It's a it's just one of those really sharp weeding tools. I don't know what you call it though. Uh, there's a there is a name for it, I think, but I'd be hard pressed. I just you know, it's, it's a, um, it's kind of a short handled tool, mm -hmm. but I think you I can, can get that. Same, yeah. You can get that same like triangular, uh, blade thing on a land long handle as well. I just like the short, I like the short handles cause I'm, I'm always getting down into the, um, the base of the plant to do the fertilizing anyway. And while I'm down there, I might as well scratch it in, but I, it's such a great, weeder because you can take that pointy edge that one one pointy edge and get under the root of the weed and pull it out it's almost precision in how well it works that's one of my favorites the other one i think is the shorthand the um short-handled rake which is a uh it, does, it has the same kind of tines that are flexible um i use that to clean the um the um, around a rose bush or a tree to get the leaves out from under because there's a few things you don't want to leave the leaves under the uh, peach trees especially because the leaves hold a lot of um, spores and you want to clean that away and the same thing with uh, roses you want to get the dead leaves away from the base of the plant so I love cool. my short break those are great tips. Uh, or as I call them, golden seeds. How about a favorite <laughs> recipe you like to cook from the garden? Oh, my God. There's so many. Uh, you know, I have these favorites for the summer and then favorites for the winter. Uh, oh, there's this one recipe for cauliflower. Do you like cauliflower? Because I love I it. I love cauliflower. 
Oh, my God. My favorite recipe is so easy, I can tell you without – you don't okay. even have to write it down. Um, you just uh, – you blanch the cauliflower. You cook it real lightly. like a steam, You can steam it. And then, don't blanch it. Steam it. And then uh, just um, throw it in a pan on some sizzling um, uh, garlic. And then you pour a cup of red wine. doesn't have to be super great or a burgundy wine. And you reduce the the wine in, you know, the cauliflower, the, the wine, it's all in there. And you reduce that. And the cauliflower picks up all that wonderful red uh, flavor from the wine. And then you just throw in a little bit of pepper and uh, thyme. And then serve it on a bed of rice or a side as a side dish with Parmesan cheese sprinkled on top. Oh my god, that is so good! That oh my is gosh, like I might have to try that tonight. Well, I don't have a cauliflower, but right away, that sounds so good. And I've never so heard anything remotely like that. Although yeah, my mom really cooks re- with wine all the time, but yeah. not that recipe. That's super easy. Um, the other thing is eggs in a eggs in a bas uh, eggs in a basket. It was a. Um, have you ever heard that book called Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver? Barbara King- yeah. So she has a few recipes, and there's two really good ones. One is a recipe about um, zucchini orzo, where you grate the, the zucchini really well, you know, fine, and then you. Um, make some orzo pasta and you throw the two together. If you were just to look up zucchini orzo, you'd pro- it'd probably pop right up that it was under Barbara King Solver's uh, website. The other <laughs> one that's the egg, eggs in a, uh, a nest is it's a, my favorite recipe for making um, Swiss chard. So Ooh, I uh, love Swiss chard. Yeah, that's a great recipe. And, you know, it's a, uh, for vegetarians who eat eggs, it's it's a very good recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do I do a few other things like in the summertime when I have extra eggplant and extra tomatoes and maybe some red peppers and hot peppers. I roast all of that stuff in uh, olive oil and um, oh I got to tell you about the garlic recipe. Don't let me forget that. But anyway, you roast all of that stuff, garlic and everything, on a tray, and then you just food process it, and it's called um, um, it's called eggplant caponata. Oh, that stuff mm. is so good. You can serve it on pita bread. You could just serve it as a dip. Um, oh, my God, it's so flavorful because, you know, when you roast the vegetables, it brings out all the flavor, right? Mm-hmm. So that's super easy. And then this thing about garlic, I got to tell you. Okay. If you if you take like a whole bunch of garlic, um, clo- um, not cloves, but whole um, bulbs, and you break them all up into cloves, so maybe like 10 garlic bulbs, right? A lot okay. of garlic. And you throw them in a pot of boiling water, turn the water, you know, turn the pot off and let them soak in that hot water for 50 minutes. Then you uh, drain it and take all the the paper off of the garlic and put the the garlic into a 
uh, pot, cover it to the top with, you know, to the top of the garlic with um, like a cheap olive oil, not not the extra virgin, but the regular non-virgin, <laughs> the slutty olive oil. <laughs> and then you bring you bring that up to a boil, like a, a very low boil for 30 minutes. And then what you have is this amazing garlic that you can add to all your recipes that is like soaked in olive oil. It's real soft so you can mash it and just you can throw it in your recipes and it goes into everything. I'm telling you, it's the it's the it's the bomb, okay? But not only do you have the the garlic that is like infused with olive with oil, you have the oil that is infused with right. garlic. And there are two just really incredibly potent and wonderful things to cook with. It just makes any time a recipe has garlic in it, makes it so much easier to add the garlic because it's already done. It's ready. You don't have to mince it. You don't have to chop it. You don't have to do anything. You just throw it in. I love it. And my listener, you know, the big thing we all struggle with is time. So any time-saving tricks are super handy. I love that. Yeah, it's time-consuming when you do it, but once you do it, it's done. Yeah. And, and it literally lasts for months in the refrigerator. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad kidding. you said that. Uh, okay. Ready for my final question? Because we're going okay. on almost an hour and a half here. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, okay, so it's kind of a doozy. If there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or globally? And it can be your, um, you know, about your book or, you know, whatever you feel. Okay. So the number one thing I would do is ban these pesticides that are genetically modified to be allowed to be used on crops because all of them, all the pesticides that they use to kill weeds are harmful to humans. But here's the other thing is they're also harmful to those bacteria in the soil that I told you about. Well, Mm -hmm. those bacteria and those beneficial organisms in the soil capture carbon out of the air. So they're, they're the, um, mitigating factor global warming so not only are you protecting human beings from eating poisons you're also doing the number one thing to mitigate global warming now how many things can you say that about (laughs) that was perfect thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, just your passion, your, you're just full of information. And I just, I know it's a little off topic, but not really. I think listeners are really going to like it. It'll be a little change. I think in a lot of ways, listeners are going to be like, finally, somebody who agrees with me, somebody who's out there trying to make a difference. Somebody who's like, you know, sharing this on a factual beat, you know, you've got the scientific knowledge behind it. You know, you've done a lot of research. You've talked about political actions that we can, you know, things that we can do or think about, or that we should be talking to other people about. So I just really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to share with us today. 
Yeah, and if I may say one more thing about that is um, if you go to pledgeforhonestcandidates.com and you just want that list of harmful ingredients that you want out of your food, you just okay. go to the contact page and tell me you want a um, that list, and I will send it to you. All right. Okay, so, uh, well, I do have, like, my final, like, do you have an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? A motivational quote or saying? Or, tip or just something that you, you know, something to get people to be inspired to, if they've never wow. gardened before or something. If you've never gardened before. Um, wow. I, you know, honestly, the thing that inspires, I think, the most people first of all is to be out in the garden to see a beautiful garden gets people inspired I know that but I think the other thing too is when you're eating food that you've grown yourself or that other people have grown that is fresh from the backyard it just tastes so much better when you say yeah our health food store's motto is it's all about the taste it's all about the taste yeah yeah okay so and then I- at the end, I just say, how do we connect with you? Yeah, it's pledgeforhonestcandidates.com. And then just go to the um, contact page and I'll answer your questions or whatever. As long as I have enough time. I, I have three jobs now, so I'm working pretty hard. <laughs> Plus, I do a lot of activism. I just went today, as you know, to vote for my uh, Democratic um, um, delegate. And I'm hoping that we change this Democratic Party because the Democrats are totally corrupt all the way at the top, just like the Republicans probably know that their Republicans at the top are corrupt. (laughs) So what election are you voting in on January 7th? Yeah, it's just a delegate thing where you're asking – you're putting your support behind people that you believe in who will – Go to the local, uh, um, I forget what you call it, when you're, when you're. Like the primary? Deleg- yeah. Or the, oh, the convention? You're, yeah, the delegates go to the conventions and you're sending someone that you think is going to represent you and speak loudly and clearly about the issues that you care about the most. Nice. Well, thank you again for sharing with us today. You have a wonderful weekend. What's it's been a it? pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, I try. I don't know if I'd say I'm amazing, but it's it's just like I the only reason I say my podcast is successful is because of great guests like you and people, you know, we all you know, just really care. I usually call my audience the green future growers because not only are they growing gardens, but they're growing a greener future. And it's just really nice to be able to connect with people and share. Uh, my guests have just been, it's just an honor to get to be the host. So thank you. for. Well, I, I was blown away by the fact that you had done more than 130 podcasts. Is that right? Uh, you're 168. 
Ugh. I mean, I'm going to celebrate. Just, I'm just about to celebrate my second year on January 29th. I launched January 29th, 2015, and I am just about to break 250,000 total downloads. Like if I was like, if I could get, I have four episodes in the bank, which I never have. Usually I'm like posting, like I'll do an interview and try to post it the next day. But I just, I'm teaching second grade full time this year and I'm just so busy with that. I can hardly keep my podcast going, but next summer I'm so excited. And, and then over Christmas break, I spent a lot of time reaching out to guests. So like all of a sudden my calendar is just filling up and like, I have like two, we have like no days off. We have February 24th off and we have four days in April and that's it between now and June. And so February 24th is filling up and just some different days. But the guy who runs my podcasting group is posting like episode 1530. He does an episode every single day. Now, granted, his episodes are 25 minutes. His his interviews are a lot shorter, but that's a lot of podcasts. And he started September of 2013 and he's done 1500 so episodes. So you said you started on January 29th? Yeah, two years ago. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm gonna wish you. I'm gonna wish you well on that. I mean, it's it's just amazing what you do, and take for you to take the time and out of just the kindness of your heart. I think it's just a real shows a real generous spirit. Aw, well, thank you. Well, it's like I said, it's an honor, and I'm not always sure my husband's so glad I take as much time as I do to do it, but. <laughs> He's, he's, I mean, he does, he's as passionate about the environment and about politics as I am. And like I said, he's a news junkie. So he's glad that we're trying to, um, you know, change the world and have a better world future for our kids. He has two daughters and we have four, five grandkids. So he's very worried about them and that they're going to have a planet, you know, and we're right next to Glacier Park. I actually teach on the other side of the mountains and I drive through Glacier Park almost every weekend and, you know, the glaciers are melting and... You know, it's very, we're very, my husband and I met planting trees on the side of a mountain in Montana and just, you know, we're both like, and we got in this huge fight. (laughs) It was so funny the first day. Like he was, I was like, we should never cut down a tree again. And he's like, you environmentalists, we have to cut down trees. There's all these dead trees and we need to get the dead ones out of here. And, you know, and it was just so funny. We were just screaming at each other and. Um, but yeah, you know, it's amazing. Like you meet a lot of loggers who are passionate environmentalists. They know, and they're, and they're so funny. They know when the first they're, they'll like drive their logging trucks and they'll have like flowers for their wives, wildflowers that they picked or the first mushrooms and they care about animals. And, you know, when you really work with people, you get to know them and, um, I don't know. I just think we're all going to get along. One of these days we're going to figure it out and we're all going to get along on this planet. Most people care about the same thing. So Okay, we're at an hour and 32 minutes, so I'm going to shut the recording off. Hey, everyone. Have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on cashews. Anyway, so they turn these cashews into sour cream, cottage cheese, milk, yogurts. Um, they're really delicious. They sent me samples, actually, in a FedEx box with ice. It was so cool. Um, they're absolutely delicious. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food 
and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forger wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at forgerproject.com forward slash vote or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forger Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. If you know somebody who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast, we would just love it if you would share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember to grow.